0: <laughs> and laughs Theater of the Mind The best love programs from radio's golden age Only on Zoomer Radio Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor
1: Well, thank you and welcome to the show Orson Welles and his famous voice will grace us tonight as he once again appears in the Black Museum radio show. That was a 1951 radio crime drama program produced by Harry Allen Towers for the BBC and based on real-life cases from the files of Scotland Yard's Black Museum. Ira Marion was the scriptwriter, and music for the series was composed and conducted by Sidney Torch. Orson Welles was both host and narrator for stories of horror and mystery based on Scotland Yard's collection of murder weapons and various ordinary objects once associated with historical true crime cases. I found this story more than interesting. He was cheap. One day in May 1948, in the Frascali Hills outside of Rome, Orson Welles took his new secretary, Rita Rubola, to lunch. After eating enough food for a dozen hungry people and sinking one glass of wine after another, all the while enchanting his guest with gossip and conjuring tricks, Wilson downed his coffee and said it was time to go. Rebola smiled and waited for him to get the bill, and waited. Eventually, she asked for it herself. When it arrived, Wells passed it over, saying, Leave a large tip for those nice waiters. But, Mr. Wells, I can't afford meals like this. Wells turned sulfurous. How dare you go out with me and not bring enough money? And he stormed out. A waiter comforted the weeping rebola, saying, It's okay, lady. The owner knows the signor well. Men like him are too involved with creating to be bothered by such minor matters as paying. Wow! A genius, okay. But a cheap genius, That's not okay. In any case, here is Orson Welles in the episode of the Black Museum called The Brass Button.
2: This is Orson Welles, speaking from London. Here in the grim stone structure on the Thames, which houses Scotland Yard, is a warehouse of souvenirs where everyday objects... A candlestick, a china doll, a broom, all are touched by murder. Now take this button, this brass button. The symbol of a barracks parade ground, but this was not found on any parade ground. This is
3: interesting, sir.
2: A brass
3: button. Very interesting, Sergeant. It's from an army uniform.
2: Today that button can be seen in the Black Museum.
4: From the annals of the Criminal Investigation Department of the London Police, we bring you the dramatic stories of the crimes recorded by the objects in Scotland Yard's Gallery of Death. The Black Museum. In just a moment, you will hear The Black Museum starring Orson Welles. (laughs) museum starring Orson Welles.
2: Well, here we are, the Black Museum, Scotland Yard's museum of murder, shelf upon shelf of curious and repellent objects. The urge to kill, illustrated in many, many ways. Here lies death. Here in the echoing stillnesses of the long room, one stands and looks at violence, expressed by the exhibits that line the shelves, the tables, and the walls. Repellent they may be, but by reason of their association only, for most of these tokens of murder are very ordinary objects. It's a medicine bottle. The drug it contained was beneficial in small doses. But since a woman was forced to drink the whole contents and died shortly after, the jury called it murder. Here's a kitchen knife. No household is without one. But this knife was not used solely for kitchen tasks. It was found embedded in a man's heart. Ah, here we are, the brass button. It is. It's an innocuous, ordinary brass button. This was found near the dead body of a woman. But come back with me to the beginning of this story. To a day some years ago on the common, outside the Kentish village of Wayfield. A girl was sitting beneath a tree, busily sketching. She was too engrossed to hear the approach of a young soldier until he spoke.
3: Hello? Oh. Oh.
5: Hello? Sorry. Did I frighten you? A little. I didn't hear you coming. Oh, I
3: made enough Ralph. You were so busy with whatever you're doing.
5: What are you doing? Sketching.
1: Can I see?
5: You'll probably laugh. No, I won't. Show me. Hmm. That's very good. Do you really think so? Oh, well, it's fine. You must be the one they call... The swamp girl. That's what they call me in the village. <laughs> Poor, routine, dull people.
3: You don't like routine ways of living, do you? From what I've heard, you're something of a rebel.
5: Am I? Hmm. You seem to know a lot about me. Oh, I've
3: heard things.
5: What kind of things?
3: About how you live in an old shanty at the edge of the swamp and how you roam the common and sketch and paint.
5: You're well informed.
3: People talk about you sometimes. I was interested.
5: And so you came down to see for yourself. What's the matter? Couldn't you find a girl in town? Don't say that.
3: I wanted to meet you. To talk to you.
5: And now that you have, will you please go away and let me work? Oh, you can work any time. I'll go away soon. If you're nice to me. Go now. I've no intention of being nice to you, whatever you may think. Come on. Get away. When you found out so much about me... You might have also found out that I'm not interested in men, least of all soldiers.
3: That's not very kind. Come here.
6: No. Go away. Come, Come on. here. No. Oh, please,
5: please don't hurt me. Oh, please. No, please.
2: A woman screamed and cried for help on the Wayfield Common but there was no one within a mile to hear her screams. Two days later in the post office at Wayfield, a letter was returned by the postmistress.
5: Mrs. Riley? Yes, Jimmy?
3: Uh, that registered letter you sent me out with, there, uh, there was nobody about to sign for it.
5: It wasn't the swamp girl at home. No, ma'am. I called out Miss Morgan, but there wasn't any answer. All right. You can deliver it tomorrow. Yes, ma'am.
2: Her name was Jeanette Morgan. But people of the town called her the Swamp Girl because of her vagrant, strange way of living. The next day, Jimmy, the postal messenger, rode out on his bike to deliver the registered letter. But once again, the Swamp Girl was not at home. Then, on the way back, taking a shortcut, Jimmy found her.
6: Miss Morgan!
2: Jimmy saw only her legs, at first protruding from a bush, which had been meant to hide her. At first he thought she was asleep. She didn't think so for long.
6: She... she... she's dead! Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, I've got to get the police!
2: Murder transforms a little village like Wayfield... All work ceases. The people gather in small groups in the streets to talk about it.
5: Yeah. Have you heard the news? There's been a murder. Eh? A murder? Yes, out on the common. Who? The swamp girl. They found her body.
7: I was rather afraid that poor girl would come to grief sooner or later.
5: Well, Vicar, you know how it is these days. No parental authority.
7: Ah, more's the pity. Be that as it may, the man who did it must be
8: found. You know Bert. If young Jimmy Miles hadn't come upon that body like he did, it might have lain there hidden for months, even years. I wonder how it happened.
2: Well, now, the way I see it is this. Now in the bar of the local, they sipped their beer and discussed the sensation. Jimmy became something of a hero. He'd found the body and even now is being questioned by the London detectives from Scotland Yard.
8: Uh, This is uh, Jimmy Miles, sir.
3: Hello, Jimmy. You found the body i understand uh, uh, y- uh, yes inspector gallico was she really murdered sir oh well, that's what we must find out and you can help us oh really how i believe you rode out to her shanty at the edge of the swamp to deliver a registered letter to miss morgan yes that's right sir uh, she used to get a registered letter every month i always took them out, and she had to sign for them of course oh yes then you got to know her i suppose well Don't tell the postmistress, but sometimes I did stay and talk for a while. Uh And what was she like? Oh, she she was nice, uh, really friendly. People said she was a bit peculiar, but I never thought so. And she could draw, sir. Now, think carefully, Jimmy. Did you ever see her with anyone, man or woman? Oh, never, Inspector. She had no friends around here. She once told me so. Mm, No friends, I see. Now, about this registered letter... Was that the first time you had taken it out? Oh, no, sir. I went out the previous day, uh, on Monday, but she wasn't there. Did you call out? Yes, and I, I went round the common to the places where she used to go and sketch. I knew most of them. And she wasn't anywhere about? No, nowhere at all. What time of the day was this? Well, I, I just left the post office, just on ten. It's about half an hour's ride. Oh, you were out there by ten-thirty. Hmm. All right, Jimmy. Thank you very much. Is that all inspector gallico That's uh, all for the moment you've been very helpful
2: a lucky witness young jimmy miles a break for inspector gallico early in the case for with the evidence of the police surgeon certain facts could be established
3: what's your verdict on the post-mortem doctor well the cause of death didn't give us any trouble inspector she was strangled what about the time of death hmm that's not so easy I'd say she died 48 hours ago, at least. Wait a minute. That means before noon on Monday. It ties in, Doctor. Good. But at what time before noon, I would not care to predict. The contents of the stomach indicate she'd had breakfast. And then sometime between breakfast and noon, she met her death. And she was nowhere about 10.30 when the postal boy brought her her letter. What about that letter, Sergeant? Uh, uh, I
8: have it here, sir. Who is it from? It's from uh, Mrs. Morgan of Tunbridge Wells, her mother. Money, I suppose. Uh, Ten pounds, eh? And a plea to come home and live a normal life. Poor
3: Mrs. Morgan. Her daughter couldn't even die a normal death.
2: The pattern of the crime begins to make itself clear. The victim's identity is known. The approximate time and the cause of death is known. Now the hunt will begin for the killer. Here is a police
7: message. The body of a woman named Jeanette Morgan has been discovered on Wayfield Common. Evidence suggests that she met her death by strangulation sometime before noon on October the 19th. Any person who was in the vicinity of Wayfield Common on that day, or can give any information, should communicate with the nearest
2: police station in order to assist in the search for the murderer. And in this, the police will be aided by a brass button, that same brass button, that today can be found in the Black Museum.
4: In just a moment, we will continue with the Black Museum starring Orson Welles. continue with The Black Museum, starring Orson Welles.
2: To a small cottage in Tunbridge Wells now go the detectives from Scotland Yard, to a house with the blinds drawn where a thin, bitter woman answers their questions in a strangely lifeless voice.
5: Yes, I knew. I knew it was Jeanette when I saw the newspapers.
3: Why didn't you get in touch with us, Mum?
5: I knew you'd get in touch with me if you wanted me. Besides, what business is it of mine?
3: But she was your daughter.
5: Was she? Jeanette's younger sister lives here with me. Works at a shop nearby. She's my daughter.
3: Yes, I see what you mean.
5: I warned her. I told her it had come to no good end, living that strange and unnatural kind of way.
3: Mrs. Morgan, we won't trouble you any longer, but could you tell us, did your daughter have any close men friends?
5: Men friends? Yes. Jeanette? I wish she had. But a boyfriend would have been too ordinary for her. She had to be different. She had to be the swamp girl. I'm sorry. Why did it have to happen to her? To me? Why? Why, why?
8: Good evening. Uh, Good evening, Vicar. I'm from the police. The police? I don't recognize you. Uh, No, sir. You see, I'm not from the local police. Uh, I'm from London, and I'm down here in connection uh, with the murder.
7: Oh, yes, terrible, yes. But uh, how can I help you?
8: Well, you can help a good deal, sir. You see... The local police are pretty shorthanded, and Inspector Gallagher has decided that our next move should be to make a very thorough search of the common, uh, particularly round about where the body was found. Oh, I I see. And I suppose you
7: want some help from my parishioners?
8: Yes, sir, that's uh, roughly the idea.
7: Ah, Very well, then. We'll help you in every way we can. You can depend upon us.
3: All right, Sergeant. Let's get on with the search.
8: Very good, sir. You yes. take
3: Smart and work in from the road. All right, I'll sir. I'll take Rogers and work in from the field side. I'll meet you by the ditch. Yes, uh, so that'll be all right, sir.
8: Uh, here, sir. Here's a, a sketch, sir. It's a pencil drawing. Of the, of that view across there, I'd say, sir.
3: Yes, it is. Unfinished, too. She might have been working on it. What else have you got there?
8: Uh, this is interesting, sir. It's a brass button.
3: Very interesting, Sergeant.
8: It's from an army uniform. Uh-huh. Where's the nearest camp to Wayfield? I believe there's one across the river, sir, about uh, two miles away.
2: Inspector Gallico left his sergeant in charge of searching the common and went to the army camp to enlist the help and cooperation of the commanding officer.
3: Gentlemen, to see you, sir, from Scotland Yard. Oh, uh, ask him to come in, will you, Captain? Yes, sir. Uh, Will you come through, please? Thank you. Major Curtis, I'm Inspector Gallico from Scotland Yard. How do you do, Inspector? Sit down, won't you? Well, now, how can I help you, Inspector? I'm here to investigate the murder of uh, Jeanette Morgan.
2: Oh, the swamp
3: girl mystery. Yes. Yes, tragic business. Major, not far from where the body was left, we found this an army button that's why i'm here i see well i'd be glad to assist in any way i can but permit uh, me to hope that it wasn't any one of my men how many men are there in camp here major well at the present time our unit's strength is 120 we're an engineer section as you may know 120 men eh? mm-hmm. i wonder if any of them has a button missing from his tunic well if you wish i'll order an immediate inspection not yet sir you can assist me in another way first oh how inspector Well, I want a list of all those absent from camp on Monday morning. Oh, that should be easy. There's no leave on any week morning. If anyone was away from camp, it must have been for a special reason. Anyone at all. Between the hours of seven in the morning and one o'clock. Well, the adjutant can help us, though. I'll get him to make out a list of all those away from camp on Monday morning immediately.
2: The commanding officer was away a short time, and on his return he brought with him a piece of paper containing a list of names. He gave it to the London detective.
3: Yes, there you are, Inspector. Five men were away from camp during the time you asked about. Mm. Sergeant Willis, A Company. Yes, he's our caterer at the present time. We're understaffed, of course. Sergeant Willis and Private Fields were in town with a provision truck. They were together? Yes, we could always check that with one or the other. I don't think I'm very interested in those two. Oh? What about Private Liston, B Company? Oh, he's the unit driver. I, uh, I sent him into town shortly before noon. on a private errand shortly before noon
6: hmm?
3: well that leaves two Corporal Paul Ferris oh he's our mailman he leaves every morning at eight o'clock and drives the mail truck in to pick up the unit mail bag from the Wayfield Post Office I suppose yes what time does he generally return oh Sometimes by nine, though on occasions he has to wait for registered mail, you know. I've even known him to be held up as late as for 11 or even 11.30. Would anyone know what time he returned on Monday? I'll find that out for you. Now, this last man, Private Williams, A company? Yes, if you ask me, he might be your man, Inspector. Oh, why, sir? Because he was absent without leave. From 900 hours on Monday morning until 1400 hours. From nine till two. Yes, Mm. that's interesting. I'd better see him. And the Postal Chappie? I'll have them
8: paraded. Corporal Ferris? Private Williams? This is Inspector
3: Gallico from Scotland Yard. He has some questions to ask you both. Thank you, sir. Corporal Ferris, we'll take you first. Yes, Inspector. What time did you leave camp last Monday morning on your mail run? At 800 hours, sir. And what time did you return? Well, I, uh, if I remember correctly, the mail was brought round rather late that morning, Corporal. Yes, sir. I was just about to explain to the inspector. I had to wait for several registered letters. What time did you actually return? Uh, shortly before 1100 hours, sir. Thank you, Corporal. Now, Private Williams. Um, you were absent without leave throughout Monday morning. Yes, sir. Are you able to give a satisfactory account of your whereabouts? I'd uh, prefer not to, sir. David Williams has consistently refused any explanation of his conduct, Inspector. That's rather unwise, Williams. If you have an alibi, you'll need it. This is an investigation into murder. Murder? I didn't do no murder. I was with me girl in Wayfield. Ah, what's her name? Hey, Susie Walker, 9 High Street. You asked her if I wasn't there. Oh, I didn't want to get her into any trouble, you understand? That's all. But murder? Oh, I don't know nothing about the girl who was killed. Honest, I don't. Well, we'll check your statement, Williams. I've finished with them now, sir. Couple of days. Private
6: Williams. Dismiss.
2: Inspector Gallico drove into Wayfield to number nine High Street.
6: Oh, no, Susie
5: wasn't out with him that day. I remember it distinctly. She went over to see her girlfriend at Kenbury. Well, you can ask her yourself.
2: Susie Walker was a small, frightened girl. The counterpart of Private Williams.
5: Oh, Inspector, I hope he hasn't done anything wrong up at the camp in not telling them where he was. Oh, that'd be terrible. He wouldn't tell a lie, I know that. I'm sure of it. You see, we'd had a quarrel, and he wanted to see me. I didn't dare let Mother know, so I made up a story about it.
2: She confirmed his alibi. and Gallagher went next to the post office to interview Mrs. Riley. Just one inquiry I'd like to make, Mrs. Riley.
5: Anything at all, Inspector. Anything. To think of that poor girl. And my Jimmy Miles finding a bomb. Mrs. Riley,
3: uh, can you recall offhand whether you had any registered mail for the Army unit on Monday?
5: Mm, registered mail on Monday. Well, now, I couldn't remember offhand, Inspector, but I'll have it here in the book. Wait a minute and I'll look it up. No. No, there was nothing on Monday. There hasn't been a registered letter for the army since last week.
3: Then the postal corporal wouldn't have been delayed on Monday morning.
5: Oh, not him. He was in for his mailbag and out again, quick as you like. Didn't even stop for a chat. I remember that now.
3: What time would he have left here, Mrs. Riley? Can you give me any idea?
5: I can give it to you right on the dot. It's come back to me quite plainly. We open at 8.30... Corporal Ferris was here waiting when I arrived to open up.
3: It's And he didn't stay?
5: No, not more than a few minutes.
2: The inspector picked up Sergeant Worthington and together they drove back to the army camp. A few orders from the commanding officer and Corporal Ferris was paraded once more and his gear searched. At the bottom of his kit bag they found what they were looking for.
8: Here, here we are, sir. A battle jacket with one button missing. And it matches, Sergeant.
3: Oh, uh, Ferris? What have you got to say about this? <laughs> that is uh, crazy, sir. I do not know anything about it. She was sketching, wasn't she, Ferris? She drew a pencil drawing of you, isn't that so? You're bluffing. She didn't do any drawing of me. It was a landscape scene. A landscape scene, yes, so it was. And that fact has never been mentioned in any of the papers. Only the sergeant and I knew that, Ferris. And the killer.
2: Paul Ferris was taken into custody and charged with the murder of Jeanette Morgan, the swamp girl.
6: Silence! In court! Ladies and
7: gentlemen of the jury, you have heard the facts in this case as related by the witnesses which have been called both by the defense and the prosecution. The prisoner stands before you accused of the crime of murder, a particularly brutal murder, a murder without motive. But lack of motive is not necessarily a defense. It is for you to decide whether the fact which you have learned during this case, not only the words spoken by the witnesses, but the mute testimony of the material objects placed before you justify your verdict, which must be beyond all reasonable doubt.
2: The brass button and a slip of the tongue led to his downfall. Today that brass button occupies a place of honor in the Black Museum. Orson Welles
4: will be back with you in just a moment.
2: here in person is Orson Wells. The picture was completed when the tracks of a vehicle were found some 50 yards away from the scene of the crime. The tracks were identified as those of the mail truck of which the driver had been Corporal Paul Ferris. The defense did their utmost to prove insanity, but the jury were in little doubt that the man was sane and that his advances repulsed, he'd strangled the swamp girl to death. They took 17 minutes to find him guilty and the brass button which had led to his arrest was Exhibit A on the courtroom table from where at the end of the trial and the pronouncement of the inevitable death sentence it was taken to its present resting place in the Black Museum. And now until we meet next time in the same place and I tell you another story about the Black Museum I remain as always obediently yours.
4: Black Museum, starring Orson Welles, is presented by arrangement with Metro Goldwyn-Mayer Radio Attraction. The program is written by Creswick Jenkinson, with music composed and conducted by Sidney Torch. Produced by Harry Allen Towers.
1: Stay tuned for Duffy's Tavern next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for bartender Archie to reach for the phone and have a chat with his boss, Duffy, who owns the tavern.
9: It's Duffy's Tavern, the Friday night transcribed feature on
3: NBC's
10: all-star festival of comedy, music, mystery, and drama. Here we go, friends, to Duffy's Tavern with our guest, Vincent Price, and starring Archie himself, Ed Gardner. Hello, Duffy's Tavern. Where do you leave? meat Deed. Archie, your manager speaking. Duffy ain't here. Oh, hello, Duffy. Hey, uh, guess who's coming down tonight? One of the finest actors of our day, Duffy. No. Not Dustin Farnham. No, not Hobart Bosworth. Duffy, I said our day, not yours. It's Vincent Price, Duffy. You know the guy He plays the hate interest In them uh, psychopathical murder dramas
11: <laughs> You know,
10: he's always the louse uh,
11: <laughs>
10: Pictures, uh, you know when, when Price says I think I'll take the head off He ain't talking about a beer <laughs> uh, That's all them dirty, nasty characters They want a real suave manner Sort of a soft-spoken, loud mouth <laughs> That, you know, that, that sweet, soothing kind of a voice Don't know whether you should listen to it or pour it on a waffle
11: <laughs>
10: But in person, Duffy, he's different He's every inch a gentleman uh, with lots of savoir faire You know, the type of a guy you just noted. he looks dignified in his long underwear
11: <laughs> huh?
10: How's the crowd here? Oh, it's the usual after-the-night-court crowd <laughs> uh, Well, look, I got an idea how we can swank up the place if you listen Well, look, Duffy, who are the biggest spenders? Actors, see? And it's obvious why You see, actors never have any dough But they don't want nobody to know it So, ergo, they spend it like mad
11: LAUGHTER Yeah, well,
10: my idea is to turn this joint into an exclusive private club where only actors can be members, see, like the Lambs Club. And, well, we'll get Vincent Price and call it the Ham's Club. (laughs) All right, I'll call you back, Duffy. Hey, Eddie, uh, now, look, I want this club to be different. First thing we do is to drill one of them peak holes in the door, huh? Well, why does this hole in the wall need a hole in the door? <laughs> Eddie, every club's got one, uh, so that, that sort of management can look out and see that nobody gets in but bona fide
11: members. <laughs> well, if you put a
10: peephole hole in the door, nobody is going to come in. Why not? Well, if you can look out, they can look in. Now, <laughs> Mr. Archie, how are you going to get any actors Just to join this club? By signing up Benson Price. You see, Eddie, we've built the better mousetrap here, but... In order to catch the right mice, we have to bait the trap with the proper piece of cheese.
11: <laughs>
10: Namely, Vincent Price. Uh, Mr. Archie, uh, what could a man like Mr. Price do in a dump like this? All the things he's accustomed to. Not if he's, uh, accustomed to breathing.
11: <laughs>
10: okay, so we'll air condition a joint. We tried that once, and you remember what happened? What? Yeah, we crawl back into the bottle.
11: <laughs> this
10: time we'll hold it out with pliers. <laughs> now, what else do we need for the club? Oh, yeah, we'll need a game room. Game room? Yeah, that back room where we keep the pigs feet. <laughs>
11: yeah, that's pretty gamey, all right. <laughs> yeah, now what else
10: do i have? having them private clubs? Oh, yeah, a library. Well, uh, what's going to be the library? We'll dust off that world almanac over there. Look, Mr. Archie, in the first place, that almanac is from 1914. In the second place, one almanac don't make a library. Leave me take your objections in order. Firstly, about the almanac being 1914, the Declaration of Independence is a great work, ain't it? Yep. When was it wrote? 1776. Touché. <laughs> Now, for your secondly objection that one almanac don't make a library, to that I reply the word is almanac, not almanac. There you go. Touche again. Yeah, I think you're slightly touche in the head.
12: <laughs> yes, Miss Duffy? I want to ask you something very important. What is it? If a fellow says, dearest beloved, I love you more than the sun, the moon, the stars, more than life itself. Be mine, beautiful Miss Duffy. Be mine. Is that committing himself? Well, uh, yes and no. What do you mean, yes and no? Yes
10: and no guy in his right mind say
12: saying. Well, it so happens that it was said to me by my boyfriend, Rodney Maximilian Haybinder. <laughs> Yeah. Miss Tuffy, you still interested in that bum? Bum? You heard me. Archie, it so happens that at Barnaby's Barber College, Rodney is the only one to hold a safety award. Really? A safety award? Yes. He's the one man in his class that they trust to singe sideburns without the professor standing by with a fire extinguisher. What'd they give him
10: for the reward? A hot towel with his name lathered on it? Are you kidding, Miss Duffy? This guy really goes to a barber college?
12: You think I run around with illiterate? Here, look at this letter.
10: Let me see. Darling Miss Duffy, I thought about you all today at shaving class. Look, this letter is a little too mushy for me. Maybe you better read it. What happened to him at shaving class?
12: Well, let's see. Um, so, dearest, the professor gave me four demerits. Just for a tiny nick, a customer noticed on his earlobe. And darling, I'm really surprised he noticed it, as the earlobe was on the floor at the time. (laughs) Then in my confusion, I made matters even worse by giving the customer somebody else's earlobe. I don't
10: know what kind of a barber this guy is, but he certainly writes beautiful love letters, doesn't
12: he? Mm -hmm. Don't be sarcastic, Archie. It happens that there are a lot of X's at the bottom of the letter.
10: X's, huh? Are they sort of smeared in red?
12: Now that you mention it, (laughs) yeah.
10: Miss Duffy, you know, you're really a lucky girl. It's a lucky thing that the guy didn't go to a guillotine college. (laughs) Customers be walking around without heads. Uh, Hello, Arch. Oh, hiya,
9: Finnegan. Hello,
12: Finnegan. Good evening, Miss
10: Duffy. My,
9: you look pretty? Thank you, Finnegan. Every day you look better. Yesterday you looked better than the day before, and today, you, you look like the morning after.
11: Well, thank you. Oh, don't mention it. See, Arch,
9: I hear you start the new club.
10: That's right. Is it going to have dames in it? No, Finnegan, no dames. It's going to be strictly non-sexterian. <laughs> so in that case, I think I'll just stick to the YWCA. Finnegan... The YWCA is for women only. It is? Yeah. No wonder they keep throwing me out of the steam
9: room.
11: (laughs) Look, Benny, this
10: club that I'm going to have here is just going to be for actors. But if you'd like to join, I'll use my influence to get you in. No, thanks, Dodge. I'm
9: too particular. What do you mean, particular? You think I'd join a club that takes people like me? (laughs) I think you got a point there, Finnegan. Besides, I I belong to too many clubs already. What
10: clubs do you belong to?
9: Oh, the Lonely Hearts Club, the Outfledding for President Club. Uh, That was disbanded, by the way. Nobody told me why. (laughs) Oh, then I belong to the Book of the Month Club. You belong to the Book of the Month Club? Yeah, I have a special membership. They just send me the pictures. (laughs)
10: It's a very good club, that Book of a Month club. Uh, do you attend their meetings? It's a funny thing, Arch. They don't have meetings.
9: <laughs> really? Nope. No meetings, no parties, no ball team. Personally, I think the whole thing is a scheme to sell books.
10: <laughs> <laughs> to me, you sound more like you just came out of the Canadian club. <laughs> <laughs> Please, Arch, I got enough with books.
9: What? Well, what would I do with a Canadian every month?
10: If you like to have some fun, why don't you go over to that stove in the kitchen and stick your head in the oven? Maybe your brains will expand. Good idea, Arch. I'll set the oven for a slow broil. And every five minutes, I'll come in and baste you. Now, Eddie, did you start fixing up the game room? Not yet. Well, when you do, I got a terrific idea. See, we'll we'll get a dot board and some dots so that the actors can really have a lot of fun with themselves. Uh, how? We'll cover the dot board with pictures of their agents. <laughs> room looks pretty good here, except for one thing. Uh, What's that? I don't think our more conservative members will like this picture of September morn. Tell you what you do. Uh, What? Put a hatchet in her hand, and we'll call it Custer's Last Stand.
11: (laughs) (laughs) Now, let's see. What else
10: does the club need? uh? Uh, Members. Members? Don't worry, Eddie. With Vincent Price joining up, we'll have all the actors from Hollywood dropping in.
9: Well, if they're going to drop, this is the place to do
10: it. (laughs) Hello? Oh, hello, Duffy. You've been thinking it over and you want to join the actors' club? Duffy, you an actor? You get strange fright when you have to call out your floor in a crowded elevator. (laughs) Duffy, I'm telling you, the place is strictly for actors. Now, look, Holland, take it off, but a burlesque show don't make you no actor.
11: (laughs) I'll tell
10: you what I'll do. I'll compromise you. I'll, uh, I'll make you the chairman of the membership committee. But remember, no fair blackballing guys just because they ain't Irish. Okay, Duffy. Now, Eddie, I got to get this dart game set up. Uh, Where's the pictures of them agents? Right here. Yeah, the agents' pictures, yeah.
11: Mm.
10: You know, they ain't going to be easy targets. Why not? Even in the pictures, their eyes keep shifting back and forth. Wait a minute, Eddie. Eddie, did you notice that? What? A dart just hit that agent right in the middle of his package.
9: Well, then our first actor must be here.
10: He is the spotlight, if you please. Well, it's Vincent Price. Good evening, Mr. Price. Uh, Leave me, W. you welcome to this distinction establishment. And furthermore... Thank you, Archie, and uh, may I say... Just a minute.
11: Uh, Leave
10: me further, say, Mr. Price, that seldom have we behooved such an august presentiment to these confines. And further besides... Archie, if you don't mind, I'd like to... Please. I ain't through. The man is in love with the sound of his own voice.
11: Let me see. Oh,
10: and feel assured, Mr. Price, that your visit is a bereavement from which we will not soon recover. (laughs) Is anything you desire? Just back or call. There's just one thing I would like. What? An edgewise. An (laughs) edgewise? Yes, so I can put a word in.
11: (laughs) Okay,
10: what's the word? Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye, but you just got here. Can you think of a better time to leave? (laughs) Wait, but you ain't had anything to eat yet. What? Eat here in this moldy mocombo? I'd sooner die. There is no sooner way. (laughs) Quiet, eh? Well, Vincent, I'm glad I'm finally meeting up with you, you know, especially after so many of our friends have said that we resemble each other. (laughs) Our, uh, friends say that? Yeah, yeah, lots of them. Uh, then let us be known by our enemies. <laughs>
11: I'm glad to
10: see that you're a philosopher about it, Vincent. <laughs> I didn't get sore neither. <laughs>
11: you
10: know, as I look at the both of us, I, I can see the resemblance. <laughs> Take our belts. We're about the same height. Uh-huh. <laughs> what do you weigh? About hundred and ninety. Well, there you got about ninety pounds on (laughs) me. Of course, me shoulders is a little narrower than yours. Archie, they only seem narrower because your ears stick out so. Well, that's logical. But you believe me, Vincent. You darken me up a little, give me an hour with a curler, dab a little makeup, mommy, and. I'd look enough like you to spit at your image. But there's one way in which you and me is different. Huh? And thank heavens for that. What is it? Addiction. Oh, yes, of course. Our addiction. Yeah, yours is lousy. <laughs> yeah, Me, I, I like to use big words, you know? Big words, huh? Yeah. Well, I can think of one right now. Oh, yeah? What's yours? I hesitate to tell you I bet I can think of an even longer one In fact, I started using big words The minute I learned how to talk How old were you when you learned how to talk?
11: Nineteen
10: See, and by that time, I was already in college You went to college? How do you think I got so cultured? You are cultured? You don't believe it? Recite some Shakespeare to me. I'll show you how intelligent I can look.
11: <laughs> well, I, um,
10: I doubt it, Archie, but you aroused my curiosity very well. He jested scars that never felt a wound. But soft what light through yonder window breaks. It is the east and Juliet is the sun. Hi, Arch. Yeah, Finnegan. Who's the Mushmouth? What's the matter? You're sore because someone stole your forehead? Hey, Arch, can I punch this guy in the nose? Please, (laughs) now. Just reply in a gentlemanly manner that you never had a forehead. Okay. Look, Bud, I never had a forehead. Arch. Now, could I put you in the nose?
11: Finnegan. Please, no fisticuffs.
10: Mushmouth here yeah, happens to be a gentleman. Uh, perhaps I'd better introduce you. Vincent Price, uh, Clifton Finnegan. Eyebrow, no brow. Okay, Bud.
9: Let's shake hands and be friends. Isn't there a more sanitary way? You, I seen you in that picture, the three mosquitoes. Finnegan, that's the three musketeers,
10: not mosquitoes.
9: Oh, yeah? I seen it in an open air movie in
10: Jersey. <laughs> oh, and
9: I thought all that flapping was applause.
10: Well, and again, next time you go to an open air movie, instead of popcorn, you better take DDT. But don't
9: wait, Arch.
10: What's wrong with it?
9: Stuff tastes lousy. Uh, did you
10: ever try citronella with a scoop of ice cream? Hey, Bud,
9: ain't you a little nuts?
10: <laughs> Listen, you'll have to excuse Finnegan You see, just before he was born, his mother had a bad case of fright. Oh, what happened? His father walked into the room. <laughs> Well, at least you met the guy. Fact, they are. Oh, good heavens, he's back in a week. <laughs>
11: <laughs> oh, now, no,
10: this is Miss Duffy, man's best friend. Well, <laughs> Miss Duffy, I, I can't tell you how happy it makes me to have this opportunity of meeting you. This guy's a better actor than I thought he was. <laughs>
12: Archie. Oh, Mr. Price. Yes? I'm not doing anything tonight.
9: (laughs) That does not surprise me.
12: You didn't give me a chance to finish.
10: He was hoping he wouldn't give you a chance to
12: start. Archie, please. What I was wondering, Mr. Price, is whether you would like a date with me tonight.
10: Oh, but, Miss Duffy, what about my wife?
12: I'll let her get her own date. <laughs> oh, but I, I can't
10: possibly go out tonight.
12: Why not? Just
10: look at this horrible haircut some idiot gave me. Barber college, you if I ever seen one. What's the guy do, cut it or chew it off? <laughs> no, Archie, that's not the worst part. I also got a shave and just look at these earlobes. What about them? They don't match.
12: Oh, so you're the one who caused all that trouble for Rodney.
10: What, Miss Duffy, please. Someone would like to see you outside. Who? Me. Huh? Get out of here. Now, Vincent, leave us get to the point. We're turning Duffy's into a high-class actors' club, you see. Very ulterior. And uh, <laughs> we'd like you to be the first member. The first and only? Well, not the only member. After you find out how wonderful. Exclusive the club is We'll naturally expect you To suck in some of your friends (laughs) Well, what do you say To our new lambs club? (laughs) No kidding, Vince This club's gonna be wonderful Just picture A warm, luxurious room a roaring heart In the fireplace Low <laughs> lights, you know and, and soft dive-ins Them little day beds <laughs> uh, Pictures of great actors Hanging on a wall Edwin Booth Sarah Bernhardt Richard Mansfield Abbott and Costello <laughs> Maury Amsterdam All of them What about my picture? Your picture, yeah. I think I have the very place to put it. Oh, no, you don't. <laughs> oh, you ain't heard me out. Well, hang it in a place of honor. Under the pig's feet. <laughs> under them? Don't I even get top billing? Why should you? After all, don't forget the pig's feet have been here longer than you have. <laughs> well, what do you say? Will you join if I can get you in? Well. Good. That's... Oh, just excuse me. Hello? Oh, hello, Duffy. Duffy, uh, we've got good tidings. Uh, Vincent Price wants to join the club. What? Duffy, I can't do that. No, you can't with a guy like Price. Okay. Mr. Price. What? The chairman of the membership committee desires you to audition. Audition? Yeah. You see, this club is only for actors, and the chairman has certain doubts. Well, hasn't he seen any of my pictures? That's what gave him the doubts.
11: <laughs> Tell him
10: to go soak his head. Right now, he's too busy with his feet.
11: <laughs>
10: now, what do you say? Will you give the audition? I'm sorry, I can't. Why not? Well, as I said, if I auditioned for that horrible Duffy, I'd be a bigger ham than I think I am, and I, I couldn't be.
11: <laughs> Don't worry,
10: you are. <laughs> uh, so what do you say? Duffy's listening? Well, all right. I'll, I'll start off with a recitation. Good. Uh, why don't you give him a little of that Shakespeare, huh? Very well. Uh, <clears throat> uh, to be or not to be, that is the question. Hold it, Vince. Hello? <laughs> oh, okay, Duffy. Not to be. <laughs> Look, uh, Vince, uh, don't you know no songs or... Or jokes? (laughs) Yes, I I know some jokes. Well, go ahead and spring one. Duffy likes jokes. Oh, well, (laughs) very well. Here's a very funny one.
11: (laughs) 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 Great so far.
10: (laughs) It goes like this, you see. A a little boy left his home, and he didn't come back for six years. Uh, When he returned, he knocked on the door, and his mother said, Hello, Cookie. So the little boy said, Why do you call me Cookie? And the mother answered, I call you Cookie because you've been a wafer so long. (laughs) (laughs) uh, uh, A wafer so long. Do you get it, (laughs) Archie? I got it, but I don't think it's going to stay with me. Well, I know an even funnier one. Impossible. How does this one go? Well, it goes like this. Uh, Pat says to Mike, he says, um, I just received a letter from my sister. She must be very ill. So Mike says to Pat, really? How do you know? So Pat replies, well, she started the letter by saying, I'm in Chicago thick. Uh, Archie, I'm afraid I messed it up. I should have said, I'm in Chicago ill. <laughs> It just happens that that joke just reached Chicago dead. Uh, Better tell another one, Vincent, but uh, not quite so funny this time. Uh, I, I don't want to split and
11: explain.
10: <laughs> uh, well, do you think Duffy knows the one about the woman who says, um, I just bought a dog, and the man says, "Spit," and the woman says, Nobody
11: drooled a little. <laughs>
10: Okay, Duffy Well, Ben's so much for jokes <laughs> What else can you do? Well, I, I can sing a bit You can sing, huh? Mm-hmm Okay, take a try on it yeah. Well, very well <laughs> Stand back now. Uh-huh. <laughs> you made me what I am today. I hope oh. you're satisfied. You dragged and dragged me down until the hope within me died.
11: I think what's you up and what's shattered up. each and every dream. Oh, you fooled me from Dance. the start. Dance. And although you're oh. not true, Dance, you may go. But that's the curse oh, no. of
10: an aching what? Well, how would you like to be standing right here next to it? <laughs>
11: huh?
10: Okay, I'll tell him. Uh um, Mr. Price. Yes? The chairman of the membership committee has decided <laughs> your case in the affirmative. You're out.
11: <laughs>
10: Furthermore, the chairman has asked me to dissolve the club, so you have earned a rare distinction, Mr. Price. Oh, well, what do you mean? This is the first time in history that an entire club has resigned from a member. <laughs>
9: Next week, friends, to Duffy's Tavern, the
3: Friday night transcribed feature on NBC's all-star festival of comedy,
10: music, mystery, and drama. Brought to you by RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music, first in television. And by the makers of Anison for fast relief from pain of headache, neuritis, and neuralgia. Listen tomorrow evening for The Man Called X, starring Herbert Marshall the Saturday night feature of the All-Star Festival.
1: Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Let George Do It, followed by the Aldridge family. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night.
0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.